Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Well, hello and welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, oh. identity, oh. culture, <laughs> what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought, that extra squirt of sour cream in podcast form. Wow. <laughs> Not sour cream. I love sour cream. So squirt. You know that extra I squirt. I love sour cream. I like a glob of sour cream. In, in I like don't a, need a in like a soup. Yeah. Like so you get to mix it in a little bite by bite. How do we feel about creme fraiche versus sour cream? What's the difference? I, and, and, okay, in creme fraiche versus sour cream versus Lebna versus Greek yogurt, Ooh. I do think <laughs> yes. Talk that to me. Lebna is the winner because it has Ooh. an easier balance of tanginess mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. maybe Greek yogurt, then creme fraiche. And then I think I would put sour cream last. I I just disagree about Greek yogurt. I think oh, it's really? a little too thick to be mixed very as thick. luxuriously, luxuriously mm-hmm. with whatever you're. Making. I agree if with that. If it's for soup, creme fraiche is definitely yeah. the move. Yep. In yep. My yep. Creme fraiche depends, but if it's like on a bagel, Greek yogurt is so good. Really? Or 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 I've lebna. I've never tried yeah, yeah. that. On a bagel. I've, I've, yeah, lebna is really never so delicious. Lebna. I really love creme fraiche with caviar. Actually, I mm. love creme fraiche it's with caviar. So good. And, and potato it's chips. So good. And a little yes. dill. Yes. Ooh, a little bit <laughs> I went to, okay, I went to Grand Banks this summer in Wait, New York. Wait, what is Grand Banks? It's this fabulous restaurant on a boat. Oh, I've been before. Great, <laughs> great caviar service. You two can keep quiet. The white girls are talking. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, including the one who is wearing a sweatshirt that says, I'm a luxury. And they served, they did caviar service on a fucking hash brown. And oh, I was I've like, I've eaten that this? dish before. It's so good. I was like, this is everything. This is everything. Yeah, yeah. In 2021, Den um, Den became in, addicted to caviar. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. I love it. Do not go to Grand Banks during happy hour. This is a very fine eyebrows oh, scene, but it's good for a sense. dinner or brunch reservation. Just FYI. I don't know. I might need to go during Open happy air? hour and get COVID a, a ring. COVID so. safe. We're supposed yeah. to be bantering about poop. <laughs> Someone's not we sticking are. to we the can, script. We can I, say I that. I think we can, we can forego yes, yeah. we, talking we, about our morning dump, <laughs> which was on our itinerary today for some reason. In the same conversation as, as we naturally gravitate oh, to caviar. Man, yeah. no. We went yeah. from creme fraiche to fide eyebrows to morning dump. It's Honestly, just... a logical progression. I'm already exhausted. <laughs> and this is the beginning of the day. <laughs> What's up? I'm Tommy T. Pico, Indigenous American poet, screenwriter, TV writer, and I'd like to amend a previous controversial statement ooh, that ooh. I made on the show. Not all dog owners, just the shitty lazy ones who let their dogs poop in the street and don't pick it up. Hashtag not all dog owners. <laughs> <laughs> it is the new social movement of 2022. <laughs> I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and the world's best dog owner. Mm. Lies. <laughs> Shut Fuck you, Tommy. Mm. I didn't I say anything. I just went, mm. uh, And on your 
at home food for thought bingo card you can check off dead air after joe makes a joke <laughs> um, as always very proud of you uh i'm fran i'm a writer i'm an editor and this is not a joke i really want to be on a dating show so if any of y'all anybody listening <laughs> is casting for a dating show Please put me on. Can Thank you. you. Wait, no, no, if they need a friend. villain for a dating show. <laughs> yes, mama. No, just imagine, friend, just like on a regular straight season of The Bachelor as one of the people that it pays to. <laughs> I'm just like, just this bag in my I'm a luxury sweater with my prep earring. Like, um, That's what that is. You know, I was sitting prep. over here like, what is over Kingsley, there? Uh, an amazing New York queer black uh, designer. Very yes. cute. Um, well... We stand protection. Um, <laughs> I'm Jen Michelle Norris, and I'm a reader and writer, a former figure skater, and I just feel like letting you all know that I had a really excellent shit this morning. Wow. <laughs> it was really good. Excellent. It was we satisfying. Almost, we almost didn't have this conversation. Asshole. We were so close. We were fully, really close. I am fully emptied out and ready. So Ooh. for Ooh. all the verse yeah. tops out there in LA, just I'm letting you know. ready to mingle. <laughs> As the saying goes. Uh, Joe or Fran or Den, somebody, can you give us the menu? Yeah, today our episode is all about popularity. Who has it, who doesn't, and why we even care. To start, we give you more bad advice, and we end with a eureka moment. Take it away. Mm. Mm. Uh, buck, 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 peacock. I'm feeling a little peckish. I think it's time we start the top of the show the way any good top should, with a little tease. Our uproarious appetizer segment amused Boosh. And Den, what do we got? Cha-ching, got your coin purses, benches. It's time for a penny for your thoughts. Our uproarious segment where we answer your questions and we give terrible answers. Mm. Hey, thoughts. Uh, this is Karim, and I'm your biggest fan in Sweden. Um... I just wanted to send you guys a recording and um, ask you a quick question. Um, so basically, you know, you guys have talked about in the podcast that in the past 18 months and with the pandemic and um, being at home and so on, uh, we've had a lot of time to reflect and think about our identities and um the things that are most important to us. So, um, and for me, it's been a lot about learning like what my preferred gender identity is and what my pronouns are. And I've started, you know, getting more comfortable with thinking of myself as a they, them, and not just a he, him. Um, and I've also shared that with some of my coworkers. So I guess my question is, how does one proceed from there? And how do you continue to explore your gender identity and how um, how can you rid yourself of all the bias and all the things that you've grown up with um, and just find out exactly who you are and who, you know, who you want to be? Um, so that's my question. Any advice would be really, really appreciated. Um, and thank you guys for being awesome and for being the best thoughts ever. Have an amazing day. Love you. So basically what this person is kind of getting at is I need to make my big reveal. <laughs> I need to make my Sasha Velour-esque like wig reveal and come out like to all the people that haven't mm. seen me pre-quarantine. Right, right, right. That are now bearing witness to who I am now. And then I guess entwined in all of that, getting rid of 
your own biases, yeah. which is its own um, podcast. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> do you have three hours? Yeah. Like, you know, we touched a little bit on uh, of this on our gender episode, a little bit on our COVID episode. Um, but I don't know, Dan, what do you think? I mean, the first thing that I can say is that I think that the time that you're spending thinking about this and asking yourself questions is like time really well spent. And I think it's important to know that like at no point do you ever have to share anything with anyone. Um, But when you're ready to, and when you want to, it really, there's a certain amount of like gazing forward where you're like, this is how I want people to see me and understand me, even if it doesn't necessarily match the way that I look or the way that the world um, receives me. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's just really important to think that like, that work is sort of ongoing, both in terms of like externally teaching the world how you want to be received and how you want to be understood. And also for yourself, thinking through like, what are the different um, standards and ideas and expectations that I that I was born into, and that I was raised with? And how do I want to sort of break those and move, um, move away from that? And like, you can feel a certain way and you can have a certain identity and that identity might be might continue to shift but I think the main thing is that if you know where you don't want to be just like remembering that even when it gets really difficult because um it's just it's an ongoing it's often an ongoing process like it's an ongoing process to remember that like this is who I am even when sometimes my experiences or my context isn't as affirming as I need it to be. Yeah. I think it's important to like, not think of your gender as like a finite point or like something that has like a kind of a resolute end that everyone will always, Mm -hmm. all all of a sudden understand and be crystallized. Mm -hmm. Like even, even if, you know, you were like a binary trans person and you fully transition. I have trans friends in my life that are now years after transition being like, wait, am I non-binary? You know what I <laughs> yeah, mean? Yeah, like yeah. there's kind of just a plethora of things that you can continue to go through in your own gender. I literally just rewatched the Euphoria special episode with Hunter Schaefer last night. Mm. And she has, she talks about this exact kind of thing of like spending time alone not understand, like n- feeling like she's been a woman her whole life. And then all of a sudden she's like, but wait, I, I feel like something like strong and thick and like kind of, you know, different in my own gender. And like, yeah. what is like, mm-hmm. how do I kind of reconcile those things? I think on top of like what you're saying, Dan, with like the standards that, you know, society comes with, it's like, also remind yourself that we're cultured into thinking that our our gender has to be a big announcement and has yeah. to be in our Instagram bio and has to yep. be in, you know, our, all of our bylines and, like, all our, our pronouns are so important. And, like, I think you should free yourself from that kind of pressure because mm. your gender is literally just for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that's – I think it's something that people forget a lot. Mm-hmm. And we get caught up in how it's going to be received – and mm-hmm. who will judge us, especially within the queer community, mm-hmm. who will mm-hmm. judge us. Um, and then it just completely, completely dilutes what you're trying to do, which mm-hmm. is come into your most self you can possibly come into. Absolutely. As a fuck, as the nerd, mm-hmm. I'm going to like, of course, talk about two books that like really helped me reframe my expectations of gender. The first is Disidentific- um, Disidentifications by... 
um, Jose Espan Munoz, his first book, which is not read enough. Everyone loves Cruising Utopia, which is amazing, but Disidentifications is also amazing. And the whole point of Disidentifications is that when you're <clears throat> when you're raised as a, any sort of mi- minoritarian uh, positionality, so like not white, queer, whatever, um, you're sort of framed always by the um, the the majoritarian identity. So if you're queer, your queerness is always framed around straightness and you can live against straightness, but it's still straightness framing your queerness. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, so it's not about living against straightness or living against gender. It's about understanding that you're, you're never without, you know, it's, mm-hmm. we're always constantly framed by these structures in our society. And I think that the thing that brought this up to me was the person said, how, like, how do I rid myself of, of like, the ideas of gender you we never rid ourselves mm-hmm, no. we re, we rethink them we mm-hmm. reframe them but society is always in conversation with us and we can never like remove it from us as it, it, it's like the 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 sweet sunshine of the spotless mind or whatever mm, that movie eternal is sunshine like. of the spotless mind. whatever that is <laughs> Love it, um, like you 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 just can't extract yeah. the childhood experiences you had around gender it's it's more about i think for me at least it's about um figuring and, and we are not ourselves Uh, on an island we are ourselves with the experiences we've had in the world in which we're living we're always contextualized by the world outside Mm -hmm. so it's just about like learning who you want to be in the world as it is now and that might be a different person like you said fran in in a different world in five years and ten years the world's going to change you're going to change it's ever i think there's no stasis toward which we try to move right i think that's Mm -hmm. the big thing and the other book i'm thinking about is mythologies by roland barth Mm -hmm. um which is all about um, contextualizing the the signs that are placed on us, how people read us, and like what's underneath that. Is there anything underneath that, right? Mm-hmm. And if there isn't, if everything is just who we are, but how people read us based on the signs that are, you know, that that a limp wrist means to be gay, right? Mm-hmm. That's a sign that um, is is read on my body when people see my limp wrist. I can't control that. People are going to read that on my body, but I get yeah. to play with it. Yeah. You know, I actually got to go from a child who is afraid of having a limp wrist because he would get bullied to an adult who loves having a limp wrist yeah. because it makes me feel queer. And that, I love feeling queer. That's how I feel about walking. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have that little swish. That little I swish. Love the swish. Oh, and that the, the, swishes everything. But the swish is also like, it feels good in my body. Mm-hmm. Like yes, not, it does. Not wa- like walking sort of stiffly. It feels like it takes itself out of yeah, my back. Yeah. Walking with a swish makes my back feel better. Yeah. It's a little mm-hmm. swish. Yeah. Yeah. A little swish. So I just, I those books, I'm, you know, I love to learn about my experience through reading nerdy queer theory. So those are good ones. Is It's so remarkable the ways we don't notice how we center cisness exactness whiteness Mm -hmm. in our most intimate lives exactly and that's yeah in coming out we have to think about something that has nothing to do with us exactly yeah um so try to not do that yeah Yeah. (laughs) right that and that that way it's not only something that doesn't have anything to do with us but something that doesn't care about us or something that wants to do us harm and it's like Mm -hmm. what about how do you feel to yourself something that doesn't even have to be in your world and also just like the, no isolate. straights allowed I mean that's the life I'm living so <laughs> yeah who are you and and also like in like this person I think was wondering next steps after that personal recognition and then ha- what to do with that popularly and it's just yeah. you know just in I guess you're inviting people to get to know you yeah mm. there's that, no and there's no wrong answers that's the exact language want. that my therapist used too which was mm. really helpful for me in thinking about my conversations with my family which were really important to me but yeah it's you're inviting people to know um maybe a deeper layer of you and in that you're also 
stopping asking for permission. Mm. You've, you're giving yourself permission, which is the only permission that you need. Mm. Well said. All right, I think it's time we got to the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. In Joe's slinging our meat this week. Oh my gosh, so this was a topic that I thought of literally this week when we were about to record, and I sent it to the group chat, and everyone was like, yeah, we gotta talk about that. So for the first 20 years of my life, I thought about popularity constantly, mm. mostly in the same way that when you're poor, you constantly think about money, because I didn't have it. Life for kids in my small town and even my college, to be honest, seemed ordered by the social hierarchy with popularity being the currency. Mm. I feel like so many of us bisexuals, because we're all bisexual here, <laughs> grew Famous up. Famous for yourself. <laughs> um, Famously. I am by coast. Fam- famously bisexual. So many of us grew up aware of popularity, but outside of it because of our queerness. But I find it so interesting that at times the queer community itself can feel like its own popularity contest where a bunch of fags who were bullied as kids are now popular and get to bully other people in their own right but that's for later we'll get into that later to start i want to ask you if there's a time in your life that comes to mind where you felt like the popular girl not really (laughs) fran 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 lit themselves on fire (laughs) to avoid answering the question (laughs) no no Honestly, the only the times that I maybe feel very like um fulfilled by like my community is when I am able to go to a gay bar alone yeah. and know people. Yeah. I think that is a really good feeling that is tied to a kind of idea of popularity, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. of knowing everybody. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's usually the case if I go to a gay bar in Brooklyn of mm-hmm. some kind. I actually haven't thought about this in a very long right. time. I think because I kind of extracted myself from any place that felt that kind of pressure yeah. where there was a hierarchy or there was, and especially a hierarchy of bodies mm-hmm. and of, you know, and, and ethnicities or whatever. And I was like, Ugh, I don't want to hang out with those. So I, I don't, I, I, th- I feel like my entire, my <laughs> entire uh, orientation towards popularity was like, yeah, it was pretty fucking unpopular in high school. Cause I was a yeah. fag. Yeah. So yeah, then I was same. just, I just was tight with all of the other people at the bottom of the social order. Right. Yep. And I've just continued that, including the people in this room. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> But but it's weird because like I consider myself I wouldn't say popular but I'm extremely valuable yeah Mm. you know and And it's hard when people don't see that value it's maddening is is popularity uh, it it valuates people like it's literally like a way of valuating human beings but Mm. it it doesn't have anything to do with actually being valuable. No, it's not a meritocracy. Mm. Like it's the same it's the argument about meritocracy. Yeah, not at all. No, the most popular people are usually like idiots. And honestly, people that are really popular in high school are flops now. <laughs> so, but also there's like a kind of superficiality to it that mm. it seems so. Um, uh, uns- it, 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 I don't think anybody is is satisfied. Not the popular people, no, not no. the unpopular people, the yeah. people who are chasing it, the people who have it. And, and in fact, I, I I kind of, it seems kind of juvenile to me because, yeah. I, again, I don't consider myself popular. I consider myself valuable. I consider myself valuable because people want me to be in their writer's rooms and I have to turn down jobs now. Like, that's, mm-hmm. I, like, so there's, like, I, I feel, like, useful, mm-hmm. right? And I feel um, good at my job. And I, I feel like the way that, the way that that value system relates to other people isn't 
what what is what is the rubric of popularity? Why yeah, are you exactly. there? Exactly. Yeah. Mm. What are the metrics? Why? What are the? Is it your clothes? Is it your hair? Mm. Is it your skin color? Is mm. it your gender? Right. Like, what are the things? Because that is where I'm like. I guess that depends moving from group to group. From group to group, for sure. Yeah. I think, I'm, honestly, I think we should all start with high school. I think that, yeah. like, talk, I think, you know, we're growing into conversation about what popularity means in adulthood and capitalism and our jobs. But, like, I don't, it all starts, it all starts in high school. Yeah. You know what I mean? I really feel like a lot of times metrics of popularity in that framework are, like, tied to obviously like elitism or classism or race mm-hmm. but sometimes it's just charisma uniqueness nerve and talent kind of. <laughs> you know what i mean like mm-hmm. someone who you would think would be like the bottom of the barrel in a high school scenario can be the most popular kid because they're really funny you know what i mean yeah. sometimes you just have that what rue calls that like it factor you know the kind of like aha like a star quality that also makes you popular i feel like i in my high school which was like four thousand kids a huge high school like it was more often than actually the funny kids that were Mm. able to transcend and be kind of the most popular in the school especially if they were maybe a little talented too and were you popular friend no, <laughs> I, and I and this is n- this is not hyperbole. Like in my school of four thousand kids, I was like the the sli- like the slime on the bottom of your shoe. Like yeah. I was like my four friends were like the least popular kids on the planet. We were like hackers. We were all you know chubby kids. Mm-hmm. We were like I wasn't a hacker, obviously. We like like we would spend each other's birthdays like slumber partying at this kid's house and like watching the Simpsons and watching each other play video games. Like it was not a good feeling to be honest, Mm. because Mm. even though I am grateful to have had a community at like what I think is like one of the lowest moments, lowest eras of my life. Like it's, I knew innately as a kid that I was, as you said, not valuable or not valued rather. I got to this weird place in my senior year where I mean, I had spent, uh, I was, you know, people wanted to kick my ass all the time. I never walked around by myself because I was like, this is going to, someone's going to kill me. But I'd gotten to this and I'd gotten so, I'd been, like, I had this one, this thing, this weird thing happened in senior year where I, I was so threatened and like so reviled that all of a sudden everyone knew who I was. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. uh-huh and also it was like the braces had come off i'd gotten the contacts mm-hmm. my skin cleared up <laughs> i was gorgeous oh. i was a gorgeous teenager i was a gorgeous like 18 year old and so it was like people were like i don't like like that yeah what's that thing but also like kind of i wouldn't say this i don't this is so hyperbolic but i would say a little like not mesmerized but like what do you do with that <laughs> Okay, I want to talk about this because the same thing happened to me. But, like, what was your psychic reaction to that? That's, like, such a mind fuck. Well, it was great because I didn't feel, like, physically in danger anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, like it was, like, the thing where people would, like, stop and look. Wow. And it, it was, like, it became, it went from, it went from feeling threatening to feeling a little, like, notoriety. Yeah. I was a husky jeans kid with, like, acne. And, like, my, my dad would, like do a comb over for me with like moose every day. Like I was just like an, a fucking loser. Um, and then I think it was like seventh or eighth grade. I hit puberty and my body stretched out and my skin cleared. And it was the same thing as like all of a sudden in class, someone's like, Oh my God, 
that tight shirt looks really good on you. Oh my you know God. I, mean? <laughs> I remember my high school crush, Kimberly Vavra, saying that to me. My like five year wow. high school crush finally acknowledging my presence and being wow. like, that tight shirt looks so good on you. And oh I was my like, God. thanks, Kimberly Vavra. I had made it into the, into the yearbook. I, I had a, uh, what are those called? The superlatives? Yeah. I was most unique. <laughs> Which is a euphemism for wow. fucking fat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh I also, I was um, biggest personality. Oh, wow. Also a euphemism for, for fucking biggest fat. I was <laughs> biggest brown noser because I asked for additional homework because I was bored. I, I would beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. they did. They really did. I, um. I have the sort of the op- the inverse relationship to, to coming into myself. I always knew pop- popularity was stupid, um, mostly because if I looked at the people in my area, my town that had popularity, they were the worst people. Uh, they didn't treat people well. Uh, they often um, were very elitist in a, in a weird different rubric than I would say, think of elitist in most other contexts. Um, but, you know, it was like that typical, like the the quarterback on the football team, the cheerleader, like. A lot of that nonsense. For me, my relationship to it shifted when I started seeing my entire. I, I hit puberty super late, like junior year. I never stretched out. I was my head was always. I was really skinny, and I always had a head that was way too big for my body, so it looked like I was gonna, you know, like tip over. Mm-hmm. Um, my nickname on the tennis team, which was very deeply not cool, it was not cool <laughs> to play tennis in my football town, um, was pumpkin because my head was too big. That was my um, dad's nickname <laughs> yeah, too. Uh, so you know, but. My my, what happened to me is I start, I were, I loved all of the qualities that made me bullied. I started to love the, those qualities in me. I mm. loved being bookish. I loved being smart. Mm. I loved being clever. I loved loving, I loved math and I loved loving math. I loved the sports that I played. I, I, I started to, to evaluate myself based on my own rubric. And then, um, everything became a little easier mm. and no, it never, like I never stopped getting physically <laughs> assaulted, like literally physically but, assaulted. But you at least were able to, I didn't, I had high of, self-worth. Yeah. I loved yeah. myself. I yeah, wish yeah. most kids could, I don't know any kids that could do like, that's a really incredible thing for you to be able to mm. cognitively. Accomplish. It, took, it took a long time. Uh, I think it really like junior, senior year of high school, I started to like crystallize these things in my brain, mm. but I also did a lot of kind of fucked up mind tricks. Mm. Um, I really looked down on a lot of the people in my town. I thought oh. I was better than them because mm. I was going to go to college and like, I, I had to do those things to, to survive. Like I literally was like, I had to imagine myself better than the, these kids. Cause they're literally like beating me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't and, think like, that's fucked up. I think that's survival. It's, yeah. It was survival. But now looking back, I, 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 I'm working on healing those relationships. Yeah. Um, it not, not to those people necessarily, but <laughs> I don't like, need to talk to those people. Yeah. To, 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 to the, the working class white folk I grew up around and, and, um, you know, mm-hmm. we all, a lot of us were poor. Uh, there was not a lot of optimism in terms of the opportunities that we saw for ourselves. Uh, I think, you know, it was a lot of those people, uh, like, Fran was mentioning like the people for whom high school was the best years of their life. Yeah. That was like a lot of the, and a lot of the popular folks were like, you could tell that they were like living their lives because this is as good as it's going to get. And I was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. This is the worst years of my life. I know that about myself. I'm going to college and I'm looking forward to a future. Mm. Because Um, you have to imagine that like, as you look back on those people, the reason why it was the best years of their life is their lives is because that was the most social they were ever going to be. Yes. Mm -hmm. And capital, 
capitalism deprives most adults of sociality, and right? Capitalism and the nuclear family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it is it is sad. Uh, it's really hard to like both be empathetic toward people who bullied me horrifically uh, and like be for imagine forgiveness. Mm-hmm. But, that's, um, but the, I think like doing that work, imagining forgiveness and, and being empathetic towards the people who wanted to who wanted to beat you up is a kindness to yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's not because they're never going to know. And I think the other thing that I want to, you know, also have in this conversation is like trying to do that work on myself is also um, me not wanting to have to bully other people in yeah. adulthood yeah, right. in order to feel good about because myself. that the work you do to to um to evaluate yourself on on your own rubric and then its affect being you looking down on these people in order to survive and get out and to be a person of and to consider yourself a person of distinction yeah. that can be maladaptive in the future hugely and mm-hmm. you know I you see people in our in our com- our various communities. Um, where it feels like these adults are in a popularity contest. You see that in the writer world. You see mm-hmm. that in the queer world. Mm-hmm. And it just, it like, when it when it looks like bullying, I get really, really angry. Mm-hmm. I, like, I think it's very easy to ha- go from being bullied to being a bully and not necessarily understand that you're punching down now, mm-hmm. like we talked about in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have, like, the – when I see someone bullying, I just – because of all of my experience being so badly bullied by the popular kids growing up, I like my face gets like bright red. Like I just go, yes, it does. I go, I go <laughs> rage. Um, you know, yeah. Then you give the vibe of someone who was popular in high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of was. So this is, this is the thing. My high school experience is very different than all of yours because I went to an all boys prep school. Oh. In a place called Hunting Valley, Ohio. Right. I love to talk about where it is because if that doesn't sound Republican to you, then you don't yeah. know anything. Yeah. And this is the thing that um, was so interesting. I so my first year there was miserable, right? Like as a freshman, like I there were kids who had been there since kindergarten. I came in <laughs> as a freshman, and but it wasn't even like I was the super puny, tiny, skinny, very effeminate new boy who was black with three black people in my class um, coming from a very sort of clearly middle-class background, which in that context sort of meant poor, but was not poor. Mm-hmm. And I was new. So there were things like, I just remember there were, I mean, guys made fun of me because I was effeminate. Um, there were people who were like, Oh, you're only here because you're black and the school needs more black people. Like shit like that, that I was getting told when I was 14 or 15, but there wasn't really the same kind of popularity that you get at a normal public school, largely because there are no girls there that the boys are trying to impress. Mm. And they certainly, Mm. and they don't particularly care about Mm. how, you know, their social standing among other boys. Like they don't give a fuck about that. Interesting. And so what that meant is that all of the bullying that I faced that year was really about their own personal issues and their own insecurities. And there were some boys who were like, everyone thinks we're gay because we're an all boys school, but we're not. So like you make us look bad, like that sort of thing. But there was never any just sort of like, Oh, you're no one cared about anyone's clothes or no one was like, Oh, you're cool because you have a fancy car. And like none of that Hmm. was a thing. And so what was interesting is that once I came out, which was in the fall of my sophomore year of high school, a lot changed. Like I opened up, I became so much more social and fun and lighthearted because I was like the secret that I've been hiding this whole time is Mm -hmm. gone. And the boys there really responded to that. Mm -hmm. And I remember that um, 
in, like literally even people who had bullied me the year before when I came out were like, if anyone messes with you, like, let me know. I'll kick their, like, Aww. like all of a sudden I became this very protected person in this mm. school, like all these boys. And I remember I had a boyfriend when I was a junior in high school and he dumped me and a bunch of boys. Um, was your boyfriend in your school? No, he went okay. to a public school, what are the but boys? a bunch of boys no. um, found out where he lived no. and egged his house because <laughs> he dumped me. House. What if it was like, found out where they lived and <laughs> killed, killed him. <laughs> no, they were like, oh yeah, we egged his house and took care of it for you. And we took care of it for you. That's incredible. I know. It was, yeah, it's kind of, an, it's kind of that insane. That's a, a lifetime special that I would watch. <laughs> It it was you know they were really that's so little fires everywhere it's yeah so <laughs> same town yeah. same area and but I just remember ultimately feeling like I don't know if I know how to deal with like other kinds of popularity because this context is so unique and it's so devoid and I knew that if I had been at a school where girls had been I would have been best friends with the most popular girls I probably would have been a massive bitch to people (laughs) all the trans girls are but one thing that I will say (laughs) so true she's right she's right (laughs) but one thing that I'll say is that actually in some way I have had a lot of I've harbored a lot of negativity about the school for a long time because it was so lacking in diversity and in so many ways it wasn't affirming but I'm realizing that there's a way in which it was affirming because basically those boys in that school treated me like I was a girl Mm. and that's how I wanted to be treated. That is... That's how I wanted to be seen. And they were like, oh yeah, we think of you as a girl. And it became like none of them would have ever hit me or let <sighs> me be like hit or assaulted. Like it just like they treated me like 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 they would treat a girl. This this I'm needs to be a young adult it. book series. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm delighted by Where's this dead. Dead. Yeah. I mean, she's literally dead. Didn't she die recently? <laughs> She was like 102. Totally like, yes. where is that? Where were that woman's Horcruxes buried? Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's, um, let's get one of them is buried in my pussy. <laughs> Do some babysitters club kind um, of shit. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. Uh, on that. It's like when you were talking about, you know, why people bully or like. It's so funny how when you remove, I guess, the girls from the scenario, discluding you, like, but the girls in that student body. Yeah, you kind of remove this. A lot of this shame and insecurity that is yep. present in every version of bullying. You yeah. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. every if when you are attacked as a kid or as an adult, it has to do every time with the other person's shame or insecurity. Unless they yeah. like per- even. I mean, I was going to say unless they personally know you and something that you did, but even that, you know, can can be wrapped I, up in that. I definitely was bullied a lot in homosocial spaces, in in boys only spaces, the sports mm-hmm. teams, for example. Mm. Um, and I and I read it the other the other week, but uh, I think a lot about in in my hometown, a lot of boys were treated very brutally by their fa- by their fathers in particular, mm-hmm. and so like they then enacted yep. that violence on me, who mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily treated that way by my father, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know, it's that like that Bell's hook quote that if if a man if a young boy doesn't kill the emotional parts of himself other men will try to kill that part of him and i had that experience all, with a lot of other boys <laughs> the will I, have to the bo- I have the book yes. in my bag yes. i just yes. pulled <laughs> bell hooks out of my um, telfire the will to change so it's, it's just so it's so it's so <laughs> fascinating to me how like our experiences of all boy spaces are completely opposite those were like the most i definitely felt way safer around the girls i, I was yeah. i was like all my best friends were girls me too. like mm-hmm. uh that was a safe space for me because the the, the we teased each other 
each other. We kind of tease each other with the girls, but I didn't get bullied by a lot of girls, and I never was like physically assaulted by the girls. Oh god! But I also have to make the note, Joe, that like. A lot of those differences, I'm sure, have to do with or are related to class. Oh, um, because yeah, I was yeah. in a, this super privileged place. Like, yeah. this was a school. There were certainly lo- some low-income students who were there at the school um, who perhaps their feel- their families felt or they felt that, like, they had a future because they were at this school mm. that they w- and they otherwise wouldn't have had it. But the majority of boys there didn't feel that way. They were expected to go on to great colleges and do big things and be all over the world. There wasn't as much of the whole, like, these are the best years of their lives and, like, Mm -hmm. you just have to hold on because the best years of your lives are coming. One Mm -hmm. of my teachers did tell me that and in some ways it was true, but it's mostly just that I'm still fucking gorgeous and a lot of them are no longer hot. (laughs) Oh my God! (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, and I'm I'm thriving in in ways that maybe they aren't, but, but, like, like, no, well, there wasn't a lot of, like, assaulting or anything like that happening in mm. that school. Because these boys understood, like, if I assault someone, mm-hmm. like, that, t- you know what I mean? Like, there was just, it was a very different mm. scenario. And so, where I felt, in some ways, very protected in that homosocial space, every other homosocial space that I was in was was not so safe. Mm-hmm. I, all of our experiences are so- all of our experiences are so different because in elementary school, I was a loser, 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 but I did, I was able to socialize with girls. I was drawn to girls. I only wanted to spend time with girls. Mm -hmm. And I had this kind of group of girls that were very popular in school Mm. and only retroactively have I figured out that I thought they were my friends and they never really were. Oh no. no. I I would, I would tell people that like, I was just about to name drop. I'm just name dropping all my high school. <laughs> all the cool yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. All I the mean, cool girls in high like, school. You know, I would tell people like, so-and-so is my best friend. So-and-so is my best friend. And they would never invite me to their birthday parties. Oh, no. Every year, Brand. every year, they wouldn't invite me to their birthday parties. And they'd be like, oh, it's it's a girls only birthday party. <gasps> oh. Yeah. And it's like, it's like so many of these things entwined in like gender and entwined in like, um, I keep using the word entwined. Yeah, have a little. We all have little, you know, crutch words. That's one of them for me. That's a good um, But I'm interested in how y'all have seen popularity transitioning. Yeah. Popularity um, affect your friendships, your Ooh. your co- your relationship with your colleagues. Oh. Um, moments where you had someone who you thought was your friend, or you had someone in your life or in your workspace who. Yeah. Did something to you or did something to what you were going through where you were like, oh, I see what your motivations were there. Yeah. I, I had a best friend breakup um, over uh, – it was it was like – it felt like to me petty middle school stuff. It's like this person introduced me to another person. We were all very tight. Uh, this person – and that decided he didn't want to be friends with the other person anymore. Mm. And then without telling me – was mad at me for still being friends with her. Mm. Um, and it felt very like, oh, you're loyal to me. Like, it very petty popularity. Like, you obviously... Some Salt Lake City shit. It's yeah, absolutely some 100% City some Salt Lake City shit. And it, I was really hurt by that. This was in my late 20s. And this was, like, literally my best friend in New York City who I saw him you know, in the weekend, every weekend, we would always go out and do dumb shit. Um, and it, it, it really was, 
it made me so angry because I'm like, why are we acting like this? We don't have to act like this. Like this type of like I was forced into social structures that were like this for like 20 plus years of my life. Mm -hmm. I'm not choosing them. Like I don't want to choose people who act this way anymore. Yeah. Don't people who don't communicate, people who are petty about like grievances and have ownership over relationships and view things as kind of a, a web that they are kind of the master of or want to manipulate. I'm not doing that that shit anymore and, mm -hmm. and like teams i would yeah. say now in general pretty much everyone i'm close to it, what like <laughs> had really had the experience of like not ever being popular growing up. i mean it's, mm -hmm. it's like we all share this we were weirdos yeah. we're all weirdos yep. uh, and that's the thing we have in common uh and i i think we're all weirdos who at least have the intention of treating other people nicely mm -hmm. like of leading with not being not not being an asshole it's weird to think about popularity now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what it is. is it? Is it visibility? Is it achievement? Social, social is it follower media. count? You know, it's like the New York Times headline. I just don't understand. Like, I, I fundamentally don't understand what that means as an adult because it's because it's like um, I've I've made achievements. I don't have 150,000 followers. Yeah. Like I, I, I feel like you know, like my like my boss on uh, on Resident Alien doesn't have a public Instagram account, yeah. but he's a boss. He's been working in TV for so long. And so it's like, I don't like, mm -hmm. it's like, I guess maybe it's only a concept. It, it's an idiosyncratic concept to a person. Mm. There are definitely people I feel like in adulthood who want to be popular. Yeah. Who want to be the adulthood version of popular. But Absolutely. who wants to be, po I wanted to have a book. I wanted yeah. to write a book. That's what I wanted. All it's... I wanted was to be popular. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all I wanted. I, I, it's so I I I think I've said this on the pod before. Like I I really do have like three big traumas in my life, and like two of them are ones that are too hard to talk about now, and one of them is being in high school mm. and and feeling like being extremely aware for years and years and years and years that you were unwanted in every single area of your life. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that for me. The way it manifests now is is like it really fucks up your perception of what you're missing out on and who you need to belong to. And like I'm right, constantly right. needing to check myself and ask myself questions about what I want to subscribe to and what I think is cool and how I elevate myself because, you know, we all do. I do on social media. I so on the flight over here. I watched an old favorite on the plane mm -hmm. called The Princess Diaries with <laughs> with one Miss Anne Hathaway Whoa. and Julie Andrews because I love that movie and I hadn't seen it in like at least a decade. And it's so funny because I had kind of forgotten like what happens and what a lot of the nuances are in it. But it's really interesting because her whole thing at the beginning of the movie for like the first third of the movie, she's like, I'm invisible yes, and I like being invisible. I don't want to be visible. Mm. I don't want people to know who mm. I am. And the whole, as she's like taking her princess lessons from her grandmother, the whole thing is like her sort of stepping into her power and claiming her space and like being visible. And because she was so deeply unpopular and deeply unwanted in a way, like I was, as I watched the movie, the way that she was being bullied by like, Mandy Moore's character and all these other people. I was like, I was like, oh, that happens. Like you would like high school students would make fun of someone because they don't like their hair, which I know oh, it's yeah, very yeah. real. It's just remember I didn't deal with that because of being in a boys' school. But the point is, is that I she she steps into this power and by the end she tosses it aside and she goes from like 
not being wanted to being super wanted. And in that process, a lot of the people around her who formerly never saw her, didn't give a fuck about her, tortured her, were kind of like, oh, yeah, we're best friends. Like, doing that whole sort of glomming on thing. And, like, it's really been interesting with with the popularity of Food for Thought and then the sort of visibility that I've gotten in the last, like, six months or so. Because while I haven't quite had anything like that happen or anything that obvious happen, I've definitely, like, started hearing from people who I've never heard from before. Mm-hmm. No um, kidding. Exes, mm-hmm. like, different Ooh, things let's like that. let's talk about that, mama. <laughs> and let's that's been talk- interesting. That is that's been interesting. so... Okay, let's get into it. That <laughs> is so interesting because reflective of thinking about Anne Hathaway and thinking mm-hmm. also about you it's so bizarre and but also makes complete sense how popularity in its rawest form is usually usually has something to do with physical appearance how mm-hmm. how you are visible literally yeah. visible mm. and so we have this kind of in in the in the, in a primordial era it's like it's about your kind of adherence to colonialist beauty standards uh-huh. but in yeah. a new era it's like do i check your boxes mm. or do am i a, yep. new, a cool addition to your friend group right am i someone mm-hmm. who is kind of hot right now and you want to be adjacent to that you want a piece of it yeah um i think a lot yeah. about bowen uh when mm. when i think about this because of his vis- visibility on snl mm-hmm. uh and just his i mean he's awesome bowen is awesome but like we've known bowen is awesome for a long time yeah yeah and you know, I think when you have that level of, I mean, it's in that, in that case is literally popularity. Like mm-hmm. he is being seen by a large portion of the populace. I think it actually can be deeply isolating, especially mm-hmm. if you're mm-hmm. a person who, you know, is maybe has experienced bullying or is a, a more sensitive person or, you know, is, is an artiste, you know what I mean? I think mm-hmm. it can really get in the way of like, you're saying teams like getting the books written or getting, um, getting the comedy made or whatever mm-hmm. it is you're doing. I, you know, I, um, I reach out to bone from time to time. I'm just just like, oh, baby, I hope you're, I'm just like, I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I will say, okay, if we're talking about, I, I'm sort of, the concept is starting to move in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think about today is the Golden Globes. Um, it's not being televised, right. but um, Reservation Dogs is up for best series. Ooh. And like oh. in that case, it's like, oh, I did work on a thing that is extremely popular. Pop- a literal yeah. popularity yeah. contest, yeah. Yeah. which all awards yeah. shows are. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, Except and, for the Critics' Choice Award. Am I right, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> and that has been unexpected, meteoric, and ooh, like sometimes it, uh, too visible. Yeah, like, how does it feel? It doesn't, I, I think... Honestly, like I, it may it makes me feel exposed, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's also like I'm not at the forefront of it. My name isn't up top. Yeah. I'm not one of the stuff. I mean, I think most oftentimes with th- with stuff like that, it's the actors who get the most right. Um, right, right, right. visibility from yep. the project. Mm-hmm. But it has, um, and, and in some ways, it's like it feels very vulnerable. Yeah, to be so visible, but at yeah. the same time. People like when I'm talking about like taking meetings, people are taking my meetings now, right? right. Because mm-hmm. I've been identified as a writer on a really so people who care about the writing, yeah, and like the executives and the currents and all that kind of stuff. The people who for whom that is um valuable, yeah, that 
I guess is a kind of popularity. It is. It um, is. Yeah. And and it's a it's a literal currency. Like that's why I said at the top, I think popularity can be a currency. And, and mm-hmm. in this case, it's going to hopefully give you the opportunities to make other cool stuff. And that's like, you know, that's a way in which popularity is like, well, you did a very popular thing. It also, as we're going to talk about in a, a subsequent episode, it happens to be both entertaining and like amazing art. But you know? but what it comes with is extra scrutiny. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And the other show that I was on Resident Alien season one. One, um, it was an unexpected hit for the Sci-Fi Network. Oh, I think it was wow. the most popular thing they'd had in like since like Battlestar Galactica or something right, like that. Right. And so season two, the there there were so many more eyes yeah. on the room, right? And, and like the budget and all of these things that I don't think were there before. And to a certain extent, I think probably that's happening to Reservation Dogs because it did become a surprise hit season one, and now we're doing season two. And there's just an added level of scrutiny because people uh-huh. are aware of what it could possibly do. Yeah. And I think if left unfettered that can lead to a really bland second season if Mm -hmm. if people try too hard to homogenize the magic right 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 holding yourself accountable to like consistency i think is so important like i think that when you're talking about what it means to like step into your own you know being who you are before you were popular Mm -hmm. like is i think very like something to think about when especially in like our adult years and when this kind of gets wrapped up in our work you know mm-hmm. i i'm i've so many times and I, I think everybody is guilty of but like i think me personally I've, i have so many areas in my life where i'm like oh I, I never would have done that like two years ago or like oh like that's completely contradictory to something that i actually believe or whatever mm. but you do it because you want to belong or because you want to but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm curious how like this all infiltrates your as you're talking about res dogs, like how this all infiltrates your work lives, your writer lives. And it's, it could it could it fishbowl you. It's yeah. it's really hard. I mean, having a book out in six months time, it like I'm you know I, I had a small press book out before. I know what it means to hustle. Mm-hmm. You have to you, you are your as an author. Part of your job is PR. That's just how it is. If you mm-hmm. want your book to get read, yeah. if you want people to meet your book, you have to be sending it out to blurbers. And that's regardless of what press you come that's out on. Exactly mm-hmm. right. So you know I'm. I'm I'm on a I'm on Norton now I'm on a major press but I'm still I'm hustling and part of it feels hard and cheap and like a popularity contest and like you know I'm I'm reaching out to these more famous authors that I've known from off different opportunities that I've had and it feels dirty mm-hmm. and I'm asking people for favors yeah I hate yeah asking people to, for favors I feel like I'm forcing this person to read my book and blurb it or whatever it just it but I'm I just keep reminding myself that it's just the job it, it is, is just. The job. And so, like, if, here's a way, you know, that I think other people uh, resent authors that they perceive as popular, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, that like, the, being well-connected and knowing lots of, quote-unquote, the right people and stuff makes can lead to resentment in people who don't have that social network. And I totally totally 100% get that and I you know all of it feels like a, a bit of a game it's like uh, you know you you meet these people and you're like oh they're gonna be amazing to blurb my book and that feels dirty but fundamentally the way I'm trying to to lead with it is it's like a relationship first thing mm-hmm. I'm like these are my friends and these are people whose work I believe in I've supported their work and they're gonna support mine because that's how we act as good art friends yeah um, toward one another and good I you know I'm, I'm trying not to feel dirty about doing the PR game game but it does feel dirty so it's actually really been very emotionally difficult honestly with book shit that, is so disconcerting yeah. because on a certain to a certain extent you know it's this thing and you feel self-conscious about it and you're like oh i don't want it to be read by this by 
these people this way, but then you're also like, everybody read my thing. Exactly. It's like yeah. so. It's like such a weird, like winky frowny. It's but, a it's a total mind fuck, and I'm really struggling with it. But I'm like just trying. I'm I'm like every week at therapy, I work on it, and I'm just like one foot in front of the other and do all the things that I can do so that people read my book, which I think is good, and I think will help people sort of understand what we're living through. Um, so I'm just trying to do it, but it feels really hard. It feels like I'm playing a popularity contest, and I don't want to do that. Is is yeah. that's the reason it feels bad yeah. because it feels like you're giving way to popularity yeah really yeah and so then in some way do you feel like maybe you're popular uh i don't really feel that way um it's it's kind of weird to do shows like this again like teebs talks about all the time we kind of pretend that we're just four of a four trash bags sitting in a room <laughs> and no one's ever thousand people listening no, to no us right now. Ever, gonna, ever gonna listen to it um and it is it feels great when people come up to you at a bar or uh, even this happened at restaurants sometimes or the club and are like oh my god I'm, I'm such a huge thought or for me it feels even way 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 better when someone's like i read inside out like that yeah, sure. always gets me because yeah. it's such a weirdo book on a small press and mm-hmm. and when people come up and say like oh i loved your book or it helped me process a breakup or whatever I get like tingly. It's awesome. Mm. Um, but, and, and it is addictive, that feeling, right? But I do think it's, it's like, it makes me feel popular. It is kind of that feeling. And then I really, I have a lot of shame around that. I was going to say, you, you could have just said, yes, I'm popular. Now. I am not. It's <laughs> okay, so, okay, baby. Just again, to give, you know, contrasting points, I have no shame about being popular. <laughs> um, I have no remorse over asking people for favors and help. I think that straight white men have been doing it for eons and they have no problem doing it themselves. So, like, yeah. why should I, like, deter my own self from taking advantage of opportunities presented to me? I think that as marginalized people, it is actually our job to kind of like jump ahead of things that are, you know, that have like are so easily circumvented by like our cis white counterparts. You know what I mean? Obviously not like by hurting people (laughs) or taking advantage of people Mm -hmm. or being mean to people. Like you can do all of these things without doing any of that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I think that there are a lot of ways to, I think now it's like the question of what do we do to, unwrap ourselves from ideas of popularity that have traumatized us in in our childhood because and it's also like well if this book doesn't do well am i still gonna love myself right right Mm. if the book isn't popular Mm -hmm. am i still gonna if people aren't coming up to me at the club saying i love foo for thought am i still gonna love myself and so i think you know it's it's okay to feel good in these times but i think it gets really dangerous when your self-worth is contingent on being popular yeah, right and, and, and can, can you find worth in the work and not its yeah. reception yeah. You, but, yeah but you have you have you have to by understanding that popularity is um like a, a moving target i was gonna mm-hmm. say an artifice but i guess it is kind of a, a it is a, a real concrete thing but you understand that it's not something that you need to achieve because virtually nothing is a meritocracy like virtually nothing (laughs) like truly like there are very few areas of our lives where we can go into it and it'll be judged solely on the value of whether it's good or not yeah Yeah. it has to do with who you know Mm -hmm. has to do with how you perceived it has to do with all these things adjacent to you and i don't think i think that because that's the world that we live in that we wish that it were a different way you can't live in fear of popularity or in fear of what makes what uh, how the world works it's or ashamed like the, of it yeah it's kind of like the people that 
I'm going to be such a bitch. It's kind of like the people that are all like, well, time is a construct and time is an invention and like time isn't real. And it's like, that's a very good me impression. You're I know. Doing for yeah. but here's the thing, it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. However, our world is ruled by time. <laughs> you, you have to be on time to things if you want to make money or get a job or like have friends in your life, have people that trust and, 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 and want you you know, to be in their circles. They're, you're, th- this I world am proof is still, that you don't. You know, society is, <laughs> even if you don't believe in time, society is beholden to time. So you can go ahead and, you know, move into the middle of the woods and do nothing. You know what I mean? Well, but Fred, like, you're really like, trying to Yoko Ono food for thought right now. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. What, what, you know, y'all know what I'm saying. But it's like, it's the same thing. It's like, even if you don't believe in popularity, you're still beholden to it. And so it's all, it's your own journey of understanding what your values are and what you stick to, what your yeses and nos are. Yeah. Um, and then moving forward that way. And also, and I think about this a lot with you, Joe, especially at the moment that you're in, taking that popularity that you have, that notoriety that you do have, and using it to just simply, you know, make it easier for someone else, bring someone else up. Like that's what I'm always thinking about with whatever I'm granted as a writer, as an editor, like in my spaces i'm like okay how can i use this to make this what i'm doing more accessible for more people Mm -hmm. and i think um which is another way in my mind of being relationship first even Mm -hmm. if it's Mm -hmm. me being in the more powerful Mm -hmm. or influential position which is like feels very new to me um and that's also how i've approached like finding mentors and finding supporters and Mm -hmm. people like thought zaddy chi who is my sort of guiding light when i think about what kind of literary citizen i want to be it's like Zaddy Chi, Jennifer Baker. Mm-hmm. I think about a lot of them, but it's just like, like I, I don't think I'll feel shame or nervous about asking for blurbs and all of that because I want to take that energy and bring it to more people who need it, mm-hmm. who are coming up behind me. In a similar vein, a lot of what we're talking about can really be grounded in just having really good friends that keep yeah. you honest. Yeah. yeah. Like that. I have a very visceral memory of like my best friend on the planet. Like years and years ago in my um, insufferable instigate era, like telling me like, hey, that post was like weirdly, like weirdly placed in like where we were at this. Like, I don't know if the message you were trying to give is exactly what you were trying to say. It kind of makes you look like this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like when friends do that, it's it's it hurts, but it's so much realer because mm-hmm. it comes from the people that know you the best. And I it's had Roy straight up tell me I had my head on my own ass. <laughs> you know, oh, you I, I fully love expect that of Roy. Roy. You know, you sometimes need somebody to to one of your besties yeah. to fucking do that. So you're like, mm-hmm. you come out of your whatever it was. You I'm, like my friend Becky does it to me too. Where she's I, I was talking about like a, the show or something else or like going to Vancouver, and she was like, Tommy, I just told you I was pregnant, and I was like. <gasps> I'm so sorry because I'm I get like yeah. because when you I feel like especially That's now mm-hmm. I'm so isolated yeah yep. and it's yep. just me yep. and my shit. That's what I'm dealing with yep. most of the yep. time. Oh, yeah, and I sometimes have to remember that like other people exist in this world. Yeah, That's so relatable. Oh, like God. immediately, like human. Here's human. <laughs> you know what I mean? You just like spew it all out. <laughs> oh my god. So it is important to I've get done checked. That before it's yeah. important yeah. to get checked. Yeah, yeah. keep yeah. people around who will check you. I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dead knows how I feel. Yes. 
And this week, the cherry on our top is the HBO Max series, We're Here, now in its season two. It follows three drag queens, Eureka, Bob the Drag Queen, and Shangela, as they go to small town America and throw on throw a drag show. And wow. usually there's like three people each episode. And they're it's like in places where if it isn't straight up dangerous, it's just like not common mm-hmm. to, to be do, visibly queer. Or to do drag. Yeah. There's no drag scene. And I... I don't know. I, I don't I don't have a real relationship with Drag Race, so I was expecting this to be some sort of uh what's it like not reboot, what's the word? Um spin-off. Spin-off, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. But it's completely not. First mm-hmm. of all, it's not a competition. Second of all, it's so good natured. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's it there's so much sincerity mm-hmm. that is honestly kind of lacking from most of television mm. like the, the not like not it's not saccharine but there is something so there it's like there's it's got a real beating heart to it and mm-hmm. i find myself openly sobbing every single episode oh my god wow Teebs, you have tears you tears. have emotions tears, i'm also a fan of the show i think we should disclaim that like if y'all are listening to this i think on paper this show looks like it would suck yeah like totally. i think it, it has even in the trailer it has the bones of a lot of things you're like there's no way they're gonna get that right is kind of like mm-hmm. what we're thinking. It's because we've watched Queer Eye and like other shows like it, yeah. where we're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't know about that. But the three like kind of coaches, Shangela, Eureka, and um, Bob, are so good yeah. at their own roles. And honestly, I didn't even like Eureka before before the show. Yeah. And I'm so in love with how she communicates with white people <laughs> um, and like is able to speak like Southern white like culture and mm. translate it for what they have to do in drag. Mm-hmm. But I also think that um, in contrast to Queer Eye, the show is legitimately queer mm-hmm. because mm. it's invested in queerness in its own conceit is about creating queer art, yeah. a queer art art performance where in queer eye the conceit is about capital and using capital to conform to the mainstream yeah, to be to be more mm-hmm. self improvement to be more liked according to hegemonic ideals yep, 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 yep. and also like the 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 idea of it being small town america that they're going into it's people who either didn't have the opportunity to leave or didn't want to yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They want to still be in their small town, yeah. but they, they want to be in Selma. You know, they want to be wherever they are, but like they just want to make more space for themselves in the community that they live in. Yeah, we definitely need more art that's reflective of queers outside of New York and Los Angeles. It just doesn't. There's so many. I mean, we get notes all the time mm-hmm. for from queers, not just in, in America, but around the world, but especially in America in places that, you know, we don't imagine have queer life but of course they have everywhere has mm-hmm. has queer life you know uh, and so i'm i'm so appreciative of shows that remind us that that queer culture exists outside of big cities and it really reminds me of how much work the queer weirdos have to do yeah. so that like the mainstream fire island gays Ugh. can have some comfort yeah you know and it's always the weird queerdos that have to bear the brunt the slings and arrows you know yeah. the the violence and yeah. and the yeah. suicide and the death that they have to undergo so that like some people at the top the popular ones you know mm-hmm. reap the benefit of their struggle mm-hmm. i just want to make sure i understand what so yeah, in this show bob the drag queen and eureka and shangela go into these small towns and they 
they find three people. So three people, I guess, have applied or like, I'm, I, don't, I don't exactly know like the, the, the process, but like each one of them is a coach to a person in that small town. At the end of the episode, they throw a drag show with those three people. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds like exactly the kind of thing I would love. Maybe this is going to be my reality show. <laughs> Not to be a, a bitch, um, but I, I, again, to compare like Queer Eye and this show, which I, they are direct comparisons. It's like also in Queer Eye, there's like this small town thing, but it's like, yeah, I'm giving a haircut to a Trump supporter. And like, that's kind of like it. Like, yeah. there's no real yeah. lesson. It's that the lesson is that we both get along and, like, that's fine. We can coexist. We're like, in We're Here, like, Bob will be like, you know, hey, that's racist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it'll be like, oh, um, we don't say that. Anymore. Like, like the, it's, it's, it's checked yeah. in real time. Yeah. Which is, I love that. I think, a lo- I think a lot of, like, people, I think in Hollywood specifically, a lot of people really lose sight of what it means to be quote-unquote inclusive or what it means to quote-unquote teach a lesson and people producing things like Queer Eye really think that they're doing God's work by you know presenting a very kind of like middling and like I mean doesn't even have an opinion kind of version of like wokeness where in in like this version of it it's like the context for what you need to know and why this is wrong is right here Mm -hmm. and (laughs) Well, it never feels like it's making fun of the town either. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like this exactly. big city production coming in and being like, look at these weirdos on bikes. You know, it, it feels like <laughs> yeah. they, they go there and they get to know the people and they get to know the town. And I feel, yeah, so it doesn't ever feel like the town is a punchline or that small town America is a punchline. Mm. So instead of watching the coexist tattoo of reality shows called Queer High, we should actually just be watching We Are Here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We should be watching We Are Here. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at Stitcher. Our producer is the full-bodied white from the Tuscan hillside, Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> Tewa! <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes or Fran kills another round of plants. <laughs> oh no! That's such a personal drive. <laughs> I am Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H-E-Y-T-E-B-S on Instagram because I deleted Twitter. I'm Joseph Osmonds, and you can find me at www.josephosmondson.com, where you can pre-order my book that I'm trying to make popular. Mm. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco on all social media. And please listen to my new podcast, Like a Virgin, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I'm Den Michelle Norris, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Den Michelle. And you can follow my um, journey as an editor at Electric Literature. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your thoughts, questions, concerns, and dick pics to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? T H O T. Mwah. 